Hello and welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. My name is Dan Miller and I'm here to teach you how to begin a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hey guys, how's it going? Dane here. And we are back with a new episode of Start Here Web Development. And I appreciate you guys waiting. I know it's been long and an arduous couple months since we've released an episode. We've actually recorded a couple episodes that we have yet to release with Keith and myself. So I hope that over the next couple weeks, I'll be cutting up some of those and putting them out there. But just so you know, Keith had to step down from Start Here in its entirety due to family stuff. So he's got some family things going on. So he had to step down so that he could focus on, you know, taking care of his family and doing stuff like that. And we're very appreciative of him and totally supportive of whatever he's doing next. Uh, But these shows are going to be hosted by only me for the time being until perhaps I find a co-host. And I don't have any sort of leads on a co-host. I have a couple of friends who I reached out to. Maybe they would be interested. But for now, I think it'll just be me doing some of these shows and getting this content across. I don't think it's going to be a huge problem. I do know that Keith added a lot of uh, value to this podcast because he is so different from me. So there was a lot of great back and forth that we both had. So, you know, sometimes I would ask the questions and he would answer and vice versa. So instead of doing that type of a format, I think I'm just going to try to dive into the content and see how it goes. And we'll, you know, collectively, I'll hear your feedback and we'll sort of steer the ship as we're going here. Because I I definitely want to keep this going because a, a lot of you have written in great feedback on the past episodes. And also, I have a lot of episode ideas here from people. So tons of ideas here for episodes that we're going to be covering. And that's super important. So these these episode ideas are, are great. Keep sending them in. They help me personally because it's now even more difficult to come up with content. We have content mapped out for, you know, many months, but just in general, it's more difficult when one person's trying to brainstorm than if two people are trying to brainstorm. So any ideas that you guys have, uh, send them my way, dane at starthere.fm. I get all those emails. Okay, so today's topic is going to be on testing and QA in web development. So we're going to cover automated testing, human testing, often called QA. Some people refer to it as QC, quality checking. Uh, You hear that term a lot in other industries, but in web development and tech, you usually hear QA. And there's entire jobs dedicated to this. So if you're still not sure what type of career you want in web development... So maybe maybe you want to be a QA person. And I'll step back a minute and sort of give you an overview as to what a QA person actually does. And then we'll dive into specifically what uh, the testing automation versus human testing, and we'll break down all of those topics. So QA. So a QA person usually is on a team with a couple of other engineers. So you usually have... Uh, a web developer, front-end developer, a back-end developer, and a couple back-end developers sometimes, a couple front-end developers sometimes, right? And then you'll have usually one to three QA people. Sometimes you don't have QA people because the web developers and the product managers do the QA themselves, but typically a nice cross-functional team has at least one QA person. And what this means is this person is, his sole job is to test the features that you build. So he's writing test plans, he's writing these test plans, he's writing steps, like this feature is is going to be done if I can uh, go through these steps. And usually it's like a business process. So he's writing steps like, let's say the feature is like a photo uploader that does some photo cropping after you upload it. His steps would be like, visit photo upload page, can upload photo and then he would have like a sub item of that that's like can upload big photo small photo thumbnails just he would test all the different variations that's his job to think about all the edge cases and that's a huge point uh, because a lot of the times engineers they have problems with edge cases and coming up with all of these little edge cases and so the QA person has a lot of that responsibility and that's actually really helpful and that's why some people really love QA so I know a bunch of people a couple of my friends are QA engineers 
engineers. Like this is what they do all day and they love it because they can think about all the little details and all the little edge cases. And likewise, I know a lot of developers that don't like thinking about the details and the edge cases at all, right? So it's it's an interesting dichotomy there. And so that's an overview of the QA person's responsibility on a team. And as you dive into these team environments, what you'll find is that the QA person is really involved in the process, right? So they're really involved in the development. They're they're at the sprint planning meetings. And and so this is different, right? So this is this is a different type of a role than a business analyst. There's other types of people that might be on these cross-functional teams, but they might sit adjacent to the development. So they might not actually be at the sprint planning meetings, right? They might not be in the room with the developers when like with the desk in that room. Um, but a QA person is, right? So a QA person usually has that type of a role where they're smack dab right in the middle they're usually all day working on stuff that you've done yesterday or the day before or last week and you're working on stuff today that will be tested by the QA person tomorrow and oftentimes if a company has really complicated software then the QA person's job gets even more important and they'll hire more than one QA person if a, if a, um as an uh playing devil's advocate, I guess, if the company has really simple software, sometimes you won't have a QA person at all, right? So you might have just the engineers doing the QA. You might have the product manager actually doing QA. That's often what you'll see at startups is the product manager does QA. And that's totally cool. That works really well up to a certain point. But after there's like this certain tipping point where if if the product manager can't focus on the product and instead has to focus on all these edge cases and all these little details and so forth, then you have a problem, right? That's when it's a good time to hire a QA person. And like I said, I think this is a great job for anybody that's detail oriented or anybody that loves to uh, just get their foot in the door in a web company. Like this is a, this is a great way to sort of get your foot in the door to a tech startup or tech company without actually learning programming. And what you can do is you can be a QA person for a while. You can kind of get ingrained in the culture of, of the QA. And then later you can transition to an engineering or development role. That's actually a very, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's very common, but that's a totally valid approach, right? Like you could totally do that. You could slowly move into development from a QA point of view. And as a QA person, you're going to be steeped in that development culture. You're going to be steeped in hearing about all the development problems, all the development things and the solutions and such that they're coming up with. And this is going to give you great context. If you listen to the first episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast, we talk about context for like 30 minutes. And that was, that's a, that's a sort of a, that plays into this, right? So that plays directly into this. Uh, another way to get context is to be a QA person. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, so moving on from the QA person's job and role in a startup, let's talk about a QA engineer. So this is a little bit different. So from, from this topic, we'll transition into automated QA. And then later we'll touch on testing your own stuff, like what you can do to test. Uh, but so a QA engineer is sort of like a level up. So you have a QA person. I don't, I don't know what like the second title would be in their job description. So just QA. Then you have a QA engineer. What they're doing is they're writing automated tests. So usually in a company that has sufficiently complicated software, you'll hire probably, you'll probably start out with a QA person, but then you'll either hire another person or that QA person will get trained on how to write code and then become a QA engineer. And a QA engineer is literally going to be writing code to test the things that you build. And it's actually a really complicated job. So being a QA engineer is fairly non-trivial. Um, you're thinking in, a, in the dark space of what the engineers build, right? So you're the negative space, I should say. So anything that the engineers build, you're trying to write test code that will break it or test something that they haven't thought of. And this is a very, very difficult job. Like a lot of people struggle with testing their own code. So in Rails, for instance, in the Ruby and Rails world, there's a large test-driven culture. 
And what that means is the engineers will write unit tests, so they'll write their unit tests, and then they'll see that unit test fail. Maybe, let, let's give an example. So maybe the unit test, uh, so backup. So let's give an example of a feature. So let's let's do the classic photo uploader that I use in every example. So the photo, the photo uploader uploads a photo and crops it at 500 by 500 pixels. So the engineer might write a test, he might write a unit test that says, expect that a photo is saved to disk that's 500 by 500 pixels, right? That's the test. If a photo is uploaded that fails that test, I know my code isn't working because I know my crop didn't occur. I know it didn't crop that photo correctly, right? So that's a very overly simplified example of a unit test. Now, he will run that test. The, the, the engineer, usually the person writing the code, will run that test and it will fail. Then he'll write the code and then he will see that the test passes and he'll upload the photo. He'll, he'll check and everything like that. And then he'll see that the test passes. He'll probably use like an automated thing in the test to upload the photo first. Right. So that's, an, that's another thing about testing that we'll get into later is you have to think about like how to automate a lot of your stuff. Um, that's a bit of a different topic, but so what I was getting at is in rails, there's this large culture to do this type of testing. And it's really challenging. Like a lot of people in Rails have a lot of trouble. And the same is with Python and PHP. There's a large testing culture occurring and coming up in a lot of these languages and frameworks, even in JavaScript. And a lot of people are having trouble with it, right? So you, if you aren't a seasoned veteran in testing, you will have trouble thinking the opposite of what you're writing code to do, right? So you're writing code to upload a photo. That seems easy enough. But then you have to think, Okay, so what is what could I write that would guarantee that this works? Right? So writing something that says the photo was uploaded, that kind of is enough, but what if I upload the photo and it doesn't crop it to the 500 by 500 pixels? That that's not right. If I if the if the feature is crop photos by 500 by 500 pixels after uploading, you need to put that in the test. And this is this testing culture that come that a lot of companies are adopting ties back to product development and product management. So sometimes you'll write a test and you'll be like, wait, I don't know enough. I don't have enough detail. My product manager didn't give me enough specificity. And then you'll go back to the product manager and you'll be like, what is the definition of done of this test? Like, what is the literal definition of done of this feature? And he will sometimes be like, oh, you know what? You're right. I didn't give enough specificity. Let me break it down step by step by step. What are the, th the edge cases that I want covered? What do we care about? You know, like, is it a cover photo? Is it a profile picture? Is it a thumbnail? And so forth. So a lot of this leads to actually more productive engineering. So you can kind of probably start to picture this in your mind, like how this can lead to more productive engineering. Imagine the product manager tells you to build a photo uploader and that's it. That's not super productive, right? Like, okay, I have a photo upload capability, but what if he says, build a photo uploader for thumbnails? And, 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 and you asking him what type of photos are going to come out of this photo uploader forces the product manager to think through all the variations of photos we're going to need for this application. And it forces him to solidify his thought in this, in this environment, right? So he's thinking to himself, oh, you know what? We don't need a cover photo. We just need those thumbnails. That's really the only thing I can see this application needing. And boom, you, that's a, problem that you just solved. So you, you literally got one step closer to clarity. And that's a lot of what we're doing here. We're trying to get like one step closer to clarity. And a lot of these things that we're trying to build and this test, these tests that we're trying to write, it's all about clarity. Like, can we get more clear? Can we get more stable? Can we get more solid? And a lot of the times you can, you can get more stable, solid, and clear than you already are. And it has an impact on everybody. So that's, that's what I'm getting at here with this example is that this type of testing that, that you'll be thinking of in this episode, this has an impact on not only your code, it has an impact on the product manager's decisions. It has an impact on other engineers. It has an impact on the actual code quality and the maintainability of your code. So anyway, getting back to the QA engineer, this is what a QA engineer would do, right? So a lot of the times I actually don't see this type of a role in a Ruby and Rails shop. So I usually see this type of a role in another type of shop that has more complex 
or complicated technology stacks. So for instance, uh, let me break down what I mean there. If you're in a language or framework that has a really, really huge testing culture, that immediately means that the developers are gonna be writing their own tests, typically. And if you're in a company that promotes that, then they definitely are. And if that's the case, you usually don't need a QA engineer writing the tests for you. And that, that's a good thing. You don't necessarily want somebody else to write the test for you. It can be helpful if you're in, a, in like Amazon where the company is so complicated and you're writing code that touches so much stuff. But if you're just building web apps that are not super complicated, but are somewhat complicated, you, I mean, this is a new uh, podcast for beginners. So write your own tests. Take on the role of the QA engineer yourself. Do it yourself right? And this is this is something that you'll see very common in a lot of places. In, in Python shops, I'm starting to see this. In PHP Laravel shops, I'm starting to see this. And that's a good thing. Again, like if you can write your own tests, it just means that you own it more. If you own it more, it'll probably get done better. Um, you the, These shops also probably have a bit of a code review process. So other people are looking at the code like let's let's make that very clear it is important that other people look at your code that's a that's this is a bit of a bigger topic in general but what i'm getting at here is if at all possible write your own tests write your own unit tests write your own feature tests write your own automated tests do spin up selenium and write your own browser tests right so if you don't know what selenium is look it up all these little terms that i'm giving you look them up if you, if you don't know what it is, gain context. Like that's what you're doing as a beginner, right? You're trying to gain context. So just look up everything I'm saying. And another thing that's really interesting about this, in companies where there is a QA engineer, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't need to write your own tests. It means that if you do, you'll probably be doing something that others aren't and therefore probably doing a better job at your job right so let's say you join an agency so like let's say you're a brand new developer let's say you're a junior developer you join a company it's an agency they do ruby on rails projects and maybe they do python projects so let's say you just learned python um let's say you have about six months of personal projects that you've worked on with no money involved just your own personal web apps you have like three web apps that you've built uh, in Python. One is like just a trivial app that that is like a fake book library lending application where you can submit books. And it's like, none of these have to be live, right? So this, listen to Ruby on Rails episode one if you really want to get into like how I, how, what I uh, would recommend for newbies to do to, to get that first job. But um, let's just say that you have a couple personal projects that you built just to play around, just to understand the language, right? So you have that, you get hired as a junior for like $35,000, $45,000 a year at a, at a Python and Ruby on Rails shop. This is very strange. I haven't ever seen a shop that does Python and Ruby, but let's just pretend it exists. So let's say they have a team of five QA people. Three of them are QA engineers writing test code. Let's say you join the shop and you have a project. So your first project is you're building a web app for a client of theirs that is an automotive dealership where they want uh, the users to be able to sign up on their website, submit the forms for the lease of the car on their website and do everything on their website, right? Let's say that's the project. Now, just because there's a QA engineering team doesn't mean that you should not write your own QA code, like your own test code, right? So you should still be, as a developer, thinking through the edge cases. So when you were doing those personal projects before you joined this agency, you were probably having a lot of fun thinking about the edge cases, right? Like if that's, if, if you weren't having fun thinking about the edge cases in your code, you probably, I could make an argument that you probably shouldn't be a developer. But let's say you were. Like, let's say you were building your own personal projects and you were like, oh, this is so fun. I'm thinking about what if this and what if that, and I'm writing my code such that it it's solidifies all those edge cases. Now, when you go into the shop, uh, one really important aspect is ownership. So do you own what you write? Do you own the code that you write? And if you don't own it, you're probably going to get fired, right, over time. Like this is, 
just a, a thing that happens. So if you don't own the projects that you work on and own the code that you write, you're probably going to not do good in this job, right? So uh, one aspect of this is writing your own test code. So like, let's say you just start writing some code for the project, like you're maybe two, maybe you join and they're two weeks into it. So let's say you sit down on your first day. One really good practice to get into is writing the test first. So like, let's say, uh, and this is called test-driven development. You don't have to be religious about this, but there is a large community of people that are very religious about this. They say, you should always write your test first. I don't necessarily agree with that or disagree. I just think it's an interesting tool, right? So all of these are tools that you can use. So let's, let's use this as a tool. So you sit down on your first day. The first thing you do is you think to yourself, what, what is it that they want me to build today? You talk to maybe your project manager, product manager, they tell you what, you, what they wanna work on, they assign you some cards or tickets, um, and then you get one. Maybe you're building the form, right? Like you're building the sign up form, super simple, right? I think that's like a common uh, first task when you're like, when you join an agency. I, it was literally my first task ever in web development back a long time ago was to build a form. And uh, what? why not write a test for it, right? Like, so if you're a front-end developer, this is a little bit different, right? So if you're a full-stack developer or a back-end developer, definitely write a test first. Write a test that says, um, I know this will pass when the data is saved into the database. And what that'll do is that'll give you a lot of insight. That test will allow you to understand what kind of database they're using. It'll allow you to understand all of these different aspects, right? And that test also shows your coworkers that you're a certain type of developer. Like you're, you're a developer that cares about the end result of what you build, right? So you don't just care about the code you write. You care about the end result of what you build being of high quality and workable quality. And that's a huge thing. Like a lot of people don't do this and they don't have that mindset. So that's kind of what I'm trying to instill here. This this entire premise and this entire example is is made to instill within you the the concept of test-driven development, the con the context of of test-driven development and how easy it is to do. Right? So you sit down, you're about to write some code, first write a test. If you're a front-end developer, this might not apply to you. If you're a back-end developer or a full-stack developer, this 100% applies to you. If you're not writing tests, I would like to hear the excuse why. Email me, dane at starthere.fm. Let's talk about it. Um, if you're a front-end developer, you could still do this theoretically in JavaScript. You could write JavaScript tests. That would really put you at this level that a lot of people are not playing at. So if you're if that's you and you're in, into that, um, you're at another level. So that's that's one thing. And we'll talk about JavaScript testing at the end here in a little bit. So let's say you're writing the Python code because this is a Ruby and Python shop in this example. So this this test-driven development that you're doing is very important. Other people see it, they they immediately know what type of developer you are. It, it immediately just starts building this culture. So what you wanna do when you go into these companies, you wanna be the change that you wanna see in these companies. You don't understand what that means, probably because you don't understand what change is or what even is the right thing to do. So I'm telling you, just write tests. It's very important and by doing it, you're building culture, you're building companies to be better than they are now. A lot of people don't do it. Like a lot of agencies that you'll work at don't write tests because it slows things down, right? So it's it's all about deadlines and speed of development and like that's fine and everything, but what that does is, and I, I've worked at a ton of different agencies, and what that does, I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, is that leads to issues. It leads to people feeling overworked. It leads to personnel issues in general. It leads to project issues. It leads to code quality issues, maintainability issues. If you just slow down and write a test, it signals and builds this type of environment that you will want to work in. I know that you don't know that yet because you're a beginner if you're listening to this, but I'm telling you right now, if you just follow this advice blindly, I know that's usually not the right thing to do, but if you literally just follow this advice blindly and you write the tests and spend the time to, to just slow down a little bit, if everybody around you is racing towards a deadline, okay, that's totally okay. Don't be the guy that's slowing everybody down, but you know, use your own intuition here, balance it out. 
when you first join that job, if everybody's racing to a deadline, you want to race too so that you feel like a team player. Everybody needs to view you as a team player. Don't be the weird guy only writing tests at five miles per hour when the rest of the team is going 50, right? So you have to, there's a little bit of balance here. But in general, the advice is to do this, to write these tests and really to care about the quality of code that you write. And this is the whole point of QA engineering. And if you're really into this, if, if what I'm saying is really vibing with you and you're just like really loving this concept of testing and test-driven development, and, and I know I've been giving these weird examples a lot and I haven't really touched on perhaps um, enough foundational knowledge. But if, if these examples I'm giving you are, are really sort of hitting home, then learn Rails, literally learn Rails today. Because what, what, you're, what you want to do is if, if this is touching, touching you in some way, then what you want to do is you want to get into an environment where testing is so intensely baked into the culture. And I can tell you from firsthand uh, knowledge that out of all the languages out there right now, Rails and Ruby are probably the biggest for test-driven development. Now, you could debate that and argue that, and that's fine. I'm not super interested in that argument. Like, you can learn PHP and learn the test environment in PHP or Python and learn the test environment there. There's a lot of companies that are religious testers in Python, religious testers in PHP. That's, that's totally fine. Pick whatever you want. But... If you don't know, just pick Rails. Like if you're still listening to this podcast and you don't know what to do, if you haven't learned a language, if you haven't even started, then don't wait. Like there's two types of people, right? There's impatiently patient people and there's patiently impatient people. So impatiently patient people will say, oh, you know what? I'll learn tomorrow. Like I'll I'll learn this next week. I'm going to listen to this podcast today while I'm doing chores and, and I'll learn ruby or or whatever tomorrow you know push it off push it off that's impatiently patient now a patiently impatient person is going to say you know what i'm going to start today they're going to start today right now learning ruby but they're going to be patient about it they're going to do it methodically systematically they might do it a little bit haphazardly actually but they will do it continuously for as long as the experiment needs to last And it's just an experiment, right? So like learning any language should be an experiment. If you want to learn Ruby, that's an experiment. If you want to learn Python, that's an experiment. You don't have to, picking one of these languages doesn't mean that you are destined to work in this language forever. So spend a week, spend two weeks, spend two weeks on every programming language out there. Like you you should be able to do this. Live in abundance, right? Like don't live in scarcity. There's not a scarcity of languages, right? There's a scarcity of some things, That's okay to feel scarce about those things where there's a scarcity of those things. What's not scarce? Money, programming languages, jobs. These things are not scarce, but we live as though they are, right? So we think they're scarce. We're like, oh, you know, I have to pick something. If I pick Ruby, I'll just use that forever and that's fine. That whole type of mindset is scarcity focused. Live in abundance. So try them all. Anytime that you're questioning whether you should do one thing or the other, do both. Do both. Like, if you can't do both, then you're probably not thinking correctly or, or executing correctly. Because you could probably, instead of do one thing for twice the time, do both for half the time. And this isn't just something to, to I'm saying, just to say, try everything. That, I mean, trying everything is great. But eventually, you do have to land on something. You do have to settle for one thing. So you do have to settle on a language that you really want and that you really love. And the best way to find that is to try them all. And me personally, I really, really love writing Ruby code. And nowadays, I'm really into Elixir and some other programming languages like that. And I've learned that through experimentation. And it's tough. Like, I'm not saying this that it's uh, in a way to, to suggest that it's simple. It's super tough. It's very challenging to, to write a new language, right? It's very challenging to sit down and focus and read the tutorials and read the documentation for a new language like I did a couple months ago with Elixir. And it's super hard. You're, you're thinking to yourself the whole time, like, oh, I'm never going to use this. Oh, this is such wasted effort. And your brain has all these, like, 
things that it's trying to do, you know, it's firing in all these ways to stop you from doing that. But I found it to be really fun. So I would have never learned that I loved Elixir if I didn't play with it. And I actually played with it so much that I built an application in it. And that's that application building process at the end of it is where I decided I loved it. I didn't decide I loved it right away. I didn't know. Three, three days into it, I didn't know. A week into it, I didn't know. Two weeks into it, I knew right and it, it was that continuous like hardship of like struggling through and struggling through and struggling through and plowing and plowing and finally getting to the point where i was like okay this is the language that i love and i can write tests in this language i can write here's a web application framework in this language and it, it's just so fun and that that's like a really joyful experience and if you're a programmer or you're somebody that really likes writing code or maybe you've written code for a couple of days and you really liked it in one language maybe you're a newbie and you're listening to this and you've never written code i'm i'm really encouraging you to try it out like just you know pick python or php or whatever and just start writing it right like start following tutorials and writing code and if you're really interested in my step-by-step guide on how to go from knowing nothing to knowing uh to fully getting into a language listen to the ruby on rails episode one the the beginning half of it i talk about coding boot camps versus learning on on your own you could probably skip that you could probably skip 30 minutes there and jump right into uh i have this section at a, probably about the 30 minute mark where I start talking about like how to go from knowing nothing to knowing a lot in a language. And it, and it focuses a lot on what I just talked about, right? Following tutorials, watching videos, gaining context and understanding, and then slowly implementing over and over and over again, writing the code. Like I said, I, I didn't know that I loved Elixir until two weeks into it. Then I was like, oh, you know what? It just clicks. Like it, you just get it. And you, you totally either you love it or you hate it after you get it right and i i found out that i loved it there's languages where i found out that i hated it after two weeks right so at a previous job i did a lot of python programming and while i can totally respect and appreciate python and i really actually enjoyed i i really enjoy variety right some people are like that um so i i enjoyed writing the code um i was a front-end developer at this job mostly working in javascript and I really enjoyed writing the Python code because it was just variety, it was different to me. Um, but at the end of that like six months, I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily prefer Python. There's just something about it that doesn't vibe super well with me and that's okay, right? Like I have other languages that I can choose and I can make, uh, you know, I can put bread on the table with these other languages. Like I'm not, you don't have to be scarce about this. Like you don't have to love Python just because you think you can get a job in it or love Ruby because you think you can get a job in it. Just do whatever you feel like doing, but start today, right? Anyway, this is a bit off topic, but getting back to the topic at hand, QA engineering, this, uh, like you're in this job, it's your first day, the QA engineer probably will write a bunch of tests for you to make pass. And this, this is the fun part about QA engineering. So again, if you really love this idea of like writing tests and like uh, writing things that then other people are going to solve. So your tests might say, uh, make sure the photos upload at 500 by 500 pixels, right? Uh, if you really love that, then I would totally suggest trying to learn about QA engineering. So go online, uh, read about automation, automated testing learn about frameworks for doing automated testing in all the different languages, learn about Selenium uh, for browser testing, learn about if you're on the front end, if you're a front end developer and you're really into testing, learn about Jasmine, Mocha, uh, learn Node, right? Because with Node, you can do a lot of fun stuff. And if you're um, doing HTML and CSS, there's no tests there. So you can't do testing on that, really. You can do some testing on HTML with JavaScript, but you're gonna have to learn JavaScript, right? You're gonna have to learn at least the syntax of Jasmine. So there's a library called Jasmine jQuery, and it allows you to do a lot of uh, testing that elements are on the page. So you might put a div with a class of header on the page. And with Jasmine jQuery, you can say, does this div with class jQuery, uh, class header exist? and stuff like that. That's kind of fun. I, I've done that a lot just for fun, actually. And the cool thing about testing, too, is that if you're like doing a project, like your own personal project, like let's say you're a newbie and you're listening to this podcast and maybe you've written a small personal application uh, just to just to kind of test 
or you're still in the learning phase, um, try to add testing to it. Like it's actually something that will that will get you excited. Like I, I know a lot of developers that got kind of burnt out after three to four years in the job. And it's because they aren't picking up new things, right? So if you're if you're spending two weeks writing a personal web app and you're kind of burnt out already, don't stress. Like that that's kind of normal actually, right? Like you're you're exerting so much mental effort to learn this, much less write the code. And it, it makes sense to me that you would be burned out. Like so but but mix it up. Like add testing to it. It's really fun. So if you add tests to your web app and you're like, oh, I sh- if it's a book. A uh, library application that that allows you to submit books. It's like write a test that, that write a whole bunch of tests, right? Write front end tests using Jasmine jQuery. Jump back to the server side if you're building in Python. Write Python tests, and and just mix it up. It's super fun. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it, especially if you've written an application thus far. Now let's let's move on to a bit of a different topic. I know there that was a very sort of meandering path we just went down, but let's move on to a different topic. So let's talk about. Uh, testing your own code without writing the tests, right? So let's just talk about QA. So this is what a normal QA person would do. He would write a test plan. Going back to the beginning of the episode, you remember I I mentioned uh, QA people will write a test plan in in usually step-by-step form uh, format. So they'll say uh, visits this page, expect that this result happens when I click this button step-by-step-by-step. Now, this is a really cool way for you to solidify how to build a personal project, right? So this this is twofold. So one, it's good to test your code. You should learn this. Two, it's good because it actually helps you solidify and build faster, right? So that's like a that's a huge part. Whenever I talk about whenever I talk about testing culture in a company, all this in the past 30 minutes, I've talked about testing culture a lot. And what what I mean by that is a company that does testing a lot. And why is that important? You might ask yourself, like, why does this matter? Why does that matter? If you if you haven't intuited it yet, what what it literally boils down to is more efficient and more effective programming and code writing and expression of business values through code. So like, let's take an example of your own application, right? Like, so let's say you're building your own personal application and you wanna learn how to do QA. So you wanna learn how to QA your own app, okay? So you're, you're, let's say it's a book submi- a library application where you submit a book. I know I keep going back to these same examples, but it's just easy for me. So you might r- start with a, with a document that has a bunch of features. Like you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know what? I, I wanna write an app that allows you to create a book um, and then I want to, um, you know, allow users to sign up and log in. Then I want a user to be able to click borrow. And when they click borrow, the book is like no longer available in the directory. Maybe there's like a list of books. Maybe it's like, you know, slash directory and that shows you all the books. And when somebody borrows it, the book is gone. Like that's super easy. And then you go to the user's profile and you see the book he borrowed, right? Super easy, that's your document. So you have that list of features. So what you would want to do is you'd want to make sure that each of those features is encapsulated in some kind of a bullet point. Then underneath that bullet point, you could put your test plan right in there. And that's what we call it in QA. We call it a test plan. So look that up if you're interested in reading more about test plans. There's there's a lot of books on writing test plans. There's a lot of products that will actually help you write test plans and how to do QA and testing better and more efficiently. And that's something to look into as well. So, uh, so let's say you have your document of features. What you'll do is you'll write literally what it takes to pass that feature, right? So if your feature is a user can sign up. So the test for that is go to slash sign up, fill in form, uh, get this rejection if the email is not a valid email, get this error if the email does not exist. You know what I mean? You'll list out all the error states. Then at the end, you'll put click submit, goes to user profile, can see information that I just entered. So like this is a bit of a trivial example, but that's a test. So you just listed out all of the test items, uh, how that feature passes, and really critically, how that feature fails, right? So how that feature fails, and that that is a huge part of this. So you wanna always write out how you fail 
a feature. Like, so, oh, this feature fails if the user didn't enter their email address, or this feature fails if the user didn't enter their username. And that's really cool and valuable information for you. So so notice notice what you just did. If, if you're following along and kind of writing this document as we're talking here, what you just did is you probably now have a much clearer vision of that one feature, right? Now let's extrapolate out. Imagine you have the test plan solidified for every feature in that document. So every feature in your application has a test plan before you write any code. Now you have a very clear vision for every single feature. Don't you probably think that it will allow you to write code faster, better, because there's less unknowns? Well, I can tell you the answer is yes, it will. Like you probably might not know this, but yes, it will. It will help you write code faster and better. Um, one thing that stops people from writing code quickly and efficiently often is ambiguity. Ambiguity is your worst nightmare as a developer. Anything that's ambiguous, squash it, right? But here's the key. Don't try to resolve it without actually going to figure out what is ambiguous about it and then fix it. So here's what I mean by that. Um, like we as humans have cognitive distance, right? So anytime that we see something that is different from us or or ambiguous, we try, our brains are like in resolving mode. So we try to resolve it immediately. You know, if somebody makes more money than us, we try to resolve it. Oh, they got lucky. They did this thing, right? So we are just, we're wired that way to resolve it. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're writing out your features and you're, there's a little bit of ambiguity there, you're like, um, I don't really know how this is going to work. Your brain is going to try to resolve it. Like without even you exercising thought, your brain will try to resolve it. And when you're writing code, um, you might make mistakes. But because of that, this is a very common problem in big team environments. A bunch of little individuals try to resolve a bunch of little problems and it ends up in this big mess, right? Don't be that person. Instead, write that test plan. Write those tests and write those QA items. Having all of that stuff fleshed out will allow you to not have to have any dissidence about like the the difference between the completion of that feature and the beginning of that feature. So as soon as you start writing code, the first character to the very completion of that feature to the end result on a website, that feature working, you want that entire process spec'd out. That will allow you to not have any ambiguity, solve all the cognitive dissonance. Your brain won't try to resolve it automatically. You will do exactly what you should be doing, right? That's a huge tip. Um, now, one thing is this doesn't have to be something you do every time. Like I, I'm well aware that there's times that you're going to write code haphazardly. Uh, that's fine. Like n I can't expect that everybody follows this. I don't follow this every time. Sometimes I just want to write code for the, for the heck of it. Sometimes I have a feature and I'm like, oh, I could write a test plan for this, but I'm not going to just for whatever reason, you know, maybe you're too lazy. Maybe you don't feel like it at the time. That's fine. This isn't like a law. Nothing is black or white. Um, everything is probably more complicated than black or white. And so I would just say, try this, see if it helps. It's an experiment see if it helps. If it doesn't help, don't do it. If it does help, keep doing it. Uh, you know, you don't have to do it every time, but if it does help, then at least you know that it's part of your tool belt, right? So now that, that you've listened to this sort of uh, podcast episode where there's all these examples of people doing automated QA and all these examples of you writing test plans and doing your own QA, hopefully what the goal here was to add this to your tool belt. So hopefully you've added this to your tool belt. So now you're walking around with your, your tool belt and you're like, okay, well now I actually know that I have the ability to write test plans. And that I didn't even know that before, but now I know that's something I can do. Hopefully that's what you're saying to yourself because, and if not, email me, dane at starhere.fm and we'll figure it out. Why, why wasn't this helpful? Um, you know, I, I want to make sure that you guys have the ability to write test plans in your tool belt because I see so frequently people don't even know about testing. They, they've never even heard the word test plan or test case. Look that up too. Test case. So here's another thing. If you don't know how to structure your test plans, if you, if you heard me say the bullet point things and the documentation things earlier and you're like, oh, I still don't necessarily know and I don't want to start yet, that's okay. Here's a tip go online and look up test case or look up test plan, then 
there's a bunch of tools, right? So you're going to get a Google result that is tons of software products that charge monthly uh, that allow you and your team, they're geared towards agencies, but they allow your team to write test plans or test cases for certain features. So get a free trial on like three of those different products and then explore how they do it. Explore how they lay out the test plan. Say to yourself, okay, what did Dane say in that podcast? And then what did these guys do? These guys um, structure their test cases in this way. It's different in that way from this other product. Gain all that context and then do it yourself. You know, Delete all the accounts. You don't have to pay monthly for anything, but just see how they do it. And that's something that I've done a lot is go online and sort of look up products in the field that I don't know about and see how they do it. And then that teaches you more about it. Right. So this is kind of funny. But if you're trying to learn like agile, like agile um, development and you don't know anything about it and you've maybe read one book, but you still don't get it, go online and register like 50 products that do agile development like that help engineers and teams do agile development register 50 products and then watch all of their tutorials and then delete all of the accounts because what they're doing is they're teaching you how to do agile in their product and that's context so you're gaining like hundreds and hundreds of points of context after you do that you're probably going to be like an expert at agile that's that's a bit of an oversimplification but you get what i'm saying it's it's actually a great tip and i don't see a lot of people doing it but i think some people do it subconsciously but do it consciously consciously go and register the accounts and learn take notes watch the tutorials you don't even have to play with the products usually because they give a tutorial video or a walkthrough just watch that and then delete the product and you basically know how they do it and then if you do that with a bunch of products then you know how they all do it and then you're like okay well from that i can deduce that you know i want to do it this way or i want to experiment with it that way anyway so that is a bit of an overview on qa automated testing automated engineering and and just overall writing your own test plans and test cases now i didn't go into specific syntax for these types of things and that's because the broad vision of start here is to stay pretty high level so i've specifically tried to stay very high level provide all kinds of different examples of where you would use qa how you would write qa uh, test cases and test plans and etc etc so if you're very confused then start looking up the actual libraries that i've mentioned start looking up if you're on rails start looking up capybara and uh, mini test and rspec and if you're in uh, javascript on the front end if you're a front end developer look up jasmine jquery mocha node and all those things and start looking at the syntax for yourself right so it's okay if you don't understand the syntax right away i probably couldn't explain it to you in an hour episode so i probably couldn't have even done that if i tried because it's so diverse and it depends on the language that the framework was written in you have to keep in mind these testing frameworks are all written in the language that they are in right so if it's a javascript unit testing framework it's written in javascript so it's if you're a javascript developer you better understand javascript uh, to understand that framework and testing can be complicated so writing these tests can be non-trivial so you have to have some sort of proficiency to be able to understand it but it's a good way to learn it's a good way to gain that proficiency it's a good way to sort of force yourself to learn things and it's it's just a great overall skill and strategy to have from a personnel perspective a team perspective a culture perspective just your own code quality and maintainability perspective. This is a great skill to build and build and build as the years go on. Um, Testing is going to be more and more important. QA engineering and QA in general is going to be more and more important as the world gets more and more complex and more of it relies on on technology. It's just going to grow and grow and grow. So this is an industry in in a vertical within web development that is huge. And I suggest everybody embrace it read all you can about it really learn it and dig in if you don't like it that's okay but just know that it's going to be a big part of the future and if you're a web developer that doesn't like testing at all then that's okay but just know that you're going to be on teams where there's going to be tons of people that are really into it so i'll leave it at that 
and I hope you guys have a great week coming up. These these episodes usually come out on Monday. And like we discussed at the beginning, it's just going to be me for the next couple of episodes, couple of months until I find a co-host. If any of you are interested in co-hosting, write me, uh, dane at starthere.fm. I, I do require that you know you're like an expert in web development, so it probably wouldn't make sense if you're just learning. But, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll figure something out. So, uh, yeah, and if you if you wouldn't mind leaving a review on iTunes, we really appreciate that. That really helps others sort of find this podcast. And if you if you think that it was valuable in any way, you know, feel free to write us on Twitter at StartHereFM on Twitter. We we watch that Twitter account all the time, and we, we really love your feedback there, and we reply right away. If you have any questions, that's probably the quickest way to get a reply, or my email, Dane at StartHereFM. I reply to that right away as well. Uh, so, again, thank you guys for listening and bearing with us over the past couple months. I know it's been a bit uh, absent, but hopefully we're back and everything will be great from here on. All right, guys. See you later.